So I'd like to speak about uh, happiness. Stop laughing. And there's obviously one person here who is not happy. Oh no. It's wonderful when you're in this kind of space, you see, in a retreat space like this, uh, things happen. Did you notice that? And uh, things become more synchronized, the inner and the outer worlds become more um, compatible, harmonious. Uh, and if there is, that doesn't happen immediately. So if you've done a school retreat before, you may find, uh, you know, you're, you're aware of the, the running in phase now, uh, the, the, the getting used to it, the adapting, and maybe dealing with some quite natural and healthy uh, turbulence or anxiety or whatever. So don't, don't, nothing worse than people talking about happiness when they're, they're not feeling happy themselves. Uh, so, uh, but, but I think there is a, uh, a progression. A retreat like this is a, is a, is a, is a process. And um, I remember as a, a, a boy, I never particularly liked camps and scouting camps and organized events like that. But I did once want to go to a camp for some reason. And uh, within, uh, I think, 24 hours, I realized I'd made one of the biggest mistakes of my life and uh, uh, didn't, didn't enjoy it. So, but there are, uh, there is, there is a process uh, to go through, and um, the only way to go through it is to go through it and accept it and to discover that what you feel you cannot do, you don't have to do. You don't have to do the impossible. You don't. It's not only up to you. This is when you when you reach your limit. That's the moment of transcendence. Uh, it's the moment because it's the moment where you have to just allow yourself to be helped, and that that help is there in some form or other, because the universe is basically friendly. So, uh, anyway. The person I imagine is not happy is the one who asked just a general question, no wine this time. <laughs> well, <coughs> I think it also shows, you know, how on a retreat like this you become more you become more observant. <laughs> so I congratulate you on your being able to observe that and to notice it <laughs> and uh, to draw our attention to it and obviously you will enjoy it. No, <laughs> um, we did actually ask not to have wine this time. Um, I think the sisters were a bit shocked. 
but uh, I think there, there, there are too many uh, Anglo-Saxons and Nordic people here, um, and uh, also I, th I think uh, maybe I was um, anyway. I think I think it, it's better if we don't. But you can make up for it afterwards. <laughs> Good. So, happiness. The false contemplation that we were speaking about <coughs> yesterday uh, puts happiness as the number one goal. Like the American Declaration of Independence. You have the right, everyone has the right to, whatever it is, <laughs> carry arms, and uh, to uh, the, the right to pursue happiness. Well, there's a truth in that, of course. It is, human beings are naturally inclined to happiness. We prefer to be happy. What makes us happy? Uh, it differs from one person to the other. There are some disturbed people who find their happiness in making other people unhappy. And even though we would probably say those kind of people are enjoying a false happiness. It's not really what happiness is about. Although they may argue with you and say, well, I have the right to be happy in my way, even if that means making you unhappy. So happiness isn't, isn't so simple, and it's very subjective in one way, but certainly you could say we all have a right, if that's the right word, we have a right to be happy. We shouldn't feel that it's wrong to be happy. Some people do feel it's wrong to be happy because they feel they should be unhappy, because Jesus died on the cross for their sins and they're still sinful so they should be unhappy uh, because they caused him all this pain and suffering. So one reason why some Christians, for many people, Christians are not associated with happiness because there's so much suffering in the, picture, in the equation. So, so we need to think carefully about what happiness is. And we have to think carefully about our approach to happiness. And are we, are we actually approaching happiness or pursuing happiness, as the American Constitution says, in the right way? Or are we going down the wrong track? So it sounds nice to say that we all have the right to pursue happiness, but it's more problematical than it sounds as soon as you begin to think about it, or as soon as you get to a certain age, and you may say, well, I can't complain, you know, I've got health, I've got a family, I've got a job, I've got this, I've got that, but uh, I'm still not happy. So this question is not going to go away. In fact, it becomes more pressing a question when you're 20 years old 
and you're filled with the overwhelming energy of your potential, you, 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 the world is your oyster, and uh, your suffering is due to the fact that you can't do everything that you want to do uh, quickly enough, uh, then the question of happiness is uh, different from 10 years later or 40 years later. Uh, and hopefully that question becomes more significant and more revealing over time. <coughs> and of course, through the inevitable sufferings of life. There's a World Health Organization definition of health which is uh, relevant to this. It describes health, and we usually relate health and happiness. Health is a state of complete physical, mental and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. So a state of complete physical, mental and social well-being, not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. Well, when you think about that uh, idea of health, it's not surprising that our, most, most of our countries represented here are bankrupting themselves in pursuit of the impossible. That our healthcare systems are totally unreal. If that's our idea of health, well, nobody has ever been healthy and nobody will ever be healthy. We are like English, what is it, the English fox hunter, the, what was it, the impossible, I forget what it is now, the definition. What is it? Oscar Wilde said Yeah, what is it, what did he say? No, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, don't get it. Sorry, don't worry, don't worry. Uh, something, the ridiculous in pursuit of the impossible, something like that. So, so we have to be uh, clear about what happiness means in the same way that we have to be clear about health. We need a contemplative understanding of health in order to rescue our national health care systems which are breaking down during crisis even though we are in the golden age of medicine, our healthcare systems are in crisis everywhere. Why? And why are we spending 80% of the healthcare budget in the last stages of life, in chronic disease, the very last stages of life? Anyway, uh, we need a con contemplative understanding of health in order to stay healthy, so we need the same for happiness. If we don't have this contemplative understanding of happiness, we will become miserable. And we are increasingly miserable, even though we're in a golden age of affluence and well-being. Because we can't find the kind of happiness we think we have a right to. 
Happiness is also defined often as a pleasant state of well-being. Unless I, whenever I see that phrase, well-being, I cringe. Um, what does it mean, well-being? Well-being means what you want it to mean. And usually it actually means getting what you want in the short term. So it's very related to luck. And for many people, happiness is a matter of luck. Chance. You're lucky. Or you're so But happiness really is very different. When I uh, decided to become a monk, and I told my mother, uh, I thought she'd be very happy, because she was a religious woman, and thought she'd be pleased, and you know, wasn't going to get married, and I'd you know, be around. And quite the reverse. She was absolutely unhappy. She was actually furious. <laughs> And, uh, and that totally surprised me, and I did what I had to do. But after a, a while, she, she changed her attitude towards it, and she became very happy. She would have been very unhappy if I had left the monastic life. So, it, it was a, you know, our happiness is often bound up with the happiness of other people, the people we love, the people we're close to. It's difficult to be happy if somebody you are very close to is unhappy. And yet, we discover in life that happiness changes. That the things that make us unhappy today may make us happy tomorrow. And I think for a parent, it's, that's very often the case. They may be very unhappy because the child marries the wrong person or goes into the wrong job, or doesn't use their education properly, or... And yet, when they discover that the child is happy, and is doing the right thing, then the parent becomes happy. They give up what they think should be the happiness of the child, and they become happy because the child is fulfilled. It was Socrates, or Plato, who was the first philosopher to think of happiness as something more than luck. And thought of happiness as something that is the result of our own efforts. That we are responsible for our happiness. He thought, of course, that only the moral, the good, can be happy. You can't really be happy if you are deliberately causing unhappiness to other people. And so, for him, and I think for theology, later, happiness is related to justice, to self-control, to other elements that we don't instinctively think are related to happiness. 
that actually are essential to it. And then the, the Greek word that we normally use for happiness, eudaimonia, is the goal of, is, is the goal of life. And it's not related to the satisfaction of desire so much as to flourishing. It's the best word, maybe, to translate it. Not happiness, but flourishing. Human flourishing, or what Jesus calls the fullness of life. I have come so that you may have life, life in all its fullness. The Greek word, of course, for the Beatitudes, happy are the poor in spirit, happy are the pure of heart, happy are those who suffer persecution for my sake. This, the word happy there is makarios, which is we usually translate also as blessed. So there's a whole other meaning to happiness. A deeper, richer, more multidimensional meaning. Nevertheless, happiness is the result of a certain degree of discipline and effort, self-control, and achieving balance, none of which are easy to do. Controlling oneself, controlling your anger, controlling your lust, controlling your fears, controlling your feelings, or being in control of them, not repressing them, but not being dominated by them, that is not easy. Controlling your appetites, not easy. So happiness is related to many other elements. Equanimity, calmness of mind, detachment, not cold, impersonal detachment, but the detachment that comes with acceptance of something that may not be pleasant. It also is related to our freedom, the freedom we have to respond to someone or to a beautiful moment or to a beautiful place or to a time like this that we're spending together, the freedom to respond to that uh, from our heart, from our true self. Not our, our, our response is not controlled by our fears, by our distractedness, by our anxieties, but we are able to respond in the moment from this place of freedom. And perhaps above all, it's the perception of love as the supreme virtue or as the supreme goal. Is it really happiness we're seeking? Yes, we should want to be happy. But can we pursue happiness as the ultimate goal? We're going to be disappointed. If we pursue love, as the ultimate goal, everything begins to fall into place. Set your mind on God's kingdom before everything else, and everything else will come to you as well, in the right way, at the right time. 
But take your attention off the ultimate goal for a moment and you will slip into discontent. And things will get out of balance. That's what, you know, setting your mind on God's kingdom means. And it's what, why we meditate. So that we can gradually develop the state of being in which our uh, mind is set on God's kingdom. Which of course does not mean thinking about God all the time, because we would end up just thinking about ourselves. But setting our mind, our heart, uh, the center of our consciousness in this ultimate present and transcendent reality that we give the name God to and that Jesus makes very real and present to us. So then we begin to think of happiness not as a right, a legal right, or, but a destiny or a vocation. This is what we are meant for. This is our meaning. And with that comes a shift from choice to acceptance. So we're not just consumers choosing this or that in order to make me happy, but it's accepting. And we shift also from being consumers to being citizens, people sharing in a community with responsibilities as well as rights. And we move from the idea of independence, the declaration of our independence, to the realization of our interdependence. So these are subtle but are very important and real developments or shifts, especially in our culture, because we are, by the time we begin to wake up <laughs> to ourselves and live a conscious life, we are already formed in these assumptions and prejudices about happiness and this is my right and I want it now and, uh, and you know, I've got my rights and so on. So we have to unlearn some of that, well, a lot of that. So there are two kinds of happiness, maybe. Which one do we want to pursue? Do we know which one we're pursuing? Which is more real, more sustainable? The happiness of the Beatitudes? The flourishing of the human? In the ultimate goal of love? Or in the satisfaction of desire and the continuous obsessive evaluation of my self with the question, am I happy? Am I getting what I want? The first false happiness, we could call it, is based on the imagination and the satisfaction of desire always wound, wound up with images and fantasy, which are very powerful forces to be reckoned with. The second, which is what we are here for this week, 
is based upon freedom from images. And instead of the satisfaction of desire, it is based upon gratitude, thankfulness. I was very surprised and pleased the other day, I was talking to a young person, uh, this 20-year-old I was talking about, who uh, was talking about how they prayed in different ways. And they said, um, they, med- they meditated and then they prayed and, the, and they said, but usually I end up not praying for anything, just saying thank you. What a wonderful gift to, to have at that age too. And it was exactly what Meister Eckhart says, the only prayer is really thank you. The only vo- you know, vocal prayer. It should be thank you. But we have to find that place where the gratitude, the thankfulness, just flows. It's not that we have to say it because, like writing a thank you note to your aunt, thank you very much for dinner, um, or for ten pounds, uh, but something that flows spontaneously. Meditation is a way to true happiness in conformity with reality, not our fantasy. According to origin, prayer calms the mind, reduces sin, and promotes good deeds. These are all aspects of happiness. Happiness is not the single satisfaction of a desire, but it is a harmony of different aspects of our existence. And while those different aspects, our body, our mind, our spirit, while they are not in harmony, we are unhappy. We may be happy in one aspect, but if the whole is not whole, flourishing, in fullness of life, we will always be hungry for happiness. So it's the only way is to bring our self into harmony. And that involves an asceticism, a self-control, not self-punishment, not self-denial in the ordinary sense, but self-control. Such as we are learning to practice here just by being physically together in this meditation room, day by day. So calms the mind, reduces sin, promotes good deeds. And, And that discovery that happiness is not the single satisfaction of a desire, but the harmony of our whole being, that teaches us that we are happy when we share in the very being of God.
there's anything that is in harmony, it must be God, right? God is a harmony in the Christian model, the Christian image of, of, these, of this little community, of the Trinity. So God is harmony, harmonious, loving, exchange, giving and sharing, giving and receiving in, in, in a complete freedom and generosity and thankfulness. That's, our, that's what we mean by God. And as St. Peter says, we are called, and, and what the whole of the Christian teaching is about, we are called by our very existence, by our very destiny, to share in the very being of God. <laughs>